Today is our very last week on the letter of First Thessalonians. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to wrap up in the same way that Paul wraps up his letter, which is with a promise. Here's the promise. You can be hopeful about continued growth because Jesus is trustworthy. Not because you are capable or committed enough or trustworthy enough yourself, but because Jesus promised to never give up on you and your ongoing transformation. Go ahead and open to the end of 1 Thessalonians. Find your way uh, all the way at, at chapter 5 to verse 23. And what we'll see is that like almost every ancient letter that was written and sent, Paul includes a benediction right near the end of his letter. A good word with a prayer and a promise for his readers. Look with me at verses 23 and 24 in chapter 5. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do this. Paul's prayer and promise for his friends in Thessalonica is for all of us too. And rather than praying for their physical health, which is what every ancient letter writer prayed for, Paul prays for their spiritual health, for their continued growth in the ways that God wants them to be growing. That's what it means to pray that they would be sanctified entirely. Sanctification is that process of transformation that makes you stand out. That's what the word literally means. It means set apart, not in a physical sense, but in a qualitative sense, like a light stands out in the dark. Paul prays that we would be set apart entirely, changed from being people who blend into the world around us so that we look like everyone else into being people who are noticeably different, whose lives show the gospel through the way that we walk. That's what it means when he writes that we would be in spirit, soul, and body kept sound and blameless. That means without guilt or any fault at all, conforming to God's will in every single way that a person can, in what we do with our bodies, in what we think in our minds, in our outward actions and our inward attitudes, in our hearts and our aspirations and our ambitions and our emotions. With everything that makes us the people that we are, Paul's prayer is that we would fit exactly with God's desires. Paul's prayer, in effect, is that we would keep on growing in the virtues which characterize true disciples. As we've learned over these past two months, he's praying here that they would go on growing in faith and in love and in hope. Now, we've been spending an awful lot of time on this. And this morning, 
we're going to reflect back for a little bit on how we've been doing. This is a time for each of us to ask questions of ourselves. How have we grown in the work of faith, in the labor of love, and in steadfastness in hope? The work of faith is trusting. The decision to believe and entrust yourself into God's hands, accepting that he loves you, and then trusting that he has your best interest at heart so you are willing to go wherever he leads, obeying because you trust. That's the work of faith. Have you been growing in faith or not? What do you see when you look at yourself? Have you become more willing to act in obedience to God as an expression of your trust? Have you grown in accepting that he loves you And then because of that, you are obeying him more and more. Are you working at faith? That's the first question. How about the labor of love? How are you doing there? Love is serving. It's using the power that you have for the well-being of that other person without regard for what it's going to cost you and without hesitating because they're not very lovable, but instead investing in giving yourself to help them because that's the right thing to do. How's that going for you? Have you been taking further steps than before in serving others because that's what Jesus calls you to? Are you more willing to give yourself for those who God has put in your path, laboring at love? How about hope? The steadfastness built on God's promises. Hope is choosing to keep on going in the present because of the confidence that you have about God's future. It's persevering now because you know that in the end, God is going to win completely. Hope means trusting that and then enduring in the present. Have you been able to remain confident and committed to God's calling even in trouble in these days? Yes or no? Is your confidence in God's future changing the way you face your present challenges? You've got some challenges, don't you? Is hope helping you? These three sets of questions, we we have to put them to ourselves. That's what Paul's prayer requires of us. It challenges us to ask, are we becoming more and more like lights in the darkness? Are we standing out? Are we becoming blameless in our spirits and in our bodies and in our souls? Are we growing? Now, I'm going to tell you this because I've been paying attention over these months that in all three areas, I have seen wonderfully inspiring steps taken by people in our church. You are growing still. I can see it. And it's beautiful to see. I've seen faith expressed in new patterns of witness. You know, some folks have decided to read the Bible every morning, to follow along uh, with those daily texts, to get up early and read, and some have had family members join them in that practice. Others have been working at listening to coworkers, bosses, even people that they meet in line at the bank, and then after hearing what they, they're going through, They've been praying with them, not just for them, but with them right there. Courageous steps have been taken into the unknown because faith is growing. I've seen it, and it's wonderful. I've seen the same with love. 
Families have been willing to open their homes to young people who are in crisis. Volunteers have been serving here at the church, caring for people in support groups with acts of serving. Extravagant gifts of generosity have been given, some financially sacrificial to this church, others just to bless strangers who have never been met before. I've been able to pass along gifts, which then are added to and passed along yet again as love is magnified and grows as it's passed. It's wonderful to see. I've, I've especially seen in these past months very inspiring acts of hope despite this terrible season of challenge. In critically ill folks that I've talked to who are able to remain hopeful, not because they're sure they're going to get better, but because they know that they belong to God. In the midst of relational breakdowns, I've seen spouses unwilling to give up on marriage when everything around them would say, it's time to give up. I've seen it in parents who remain committed to the well-being of their children, even as their children are consistently choosing the wrong path for themselves. I've seen it in young people who've refused to give up, even though every single day they are losing the things which used to make their lives so tolerable. I've seen growth in faith. I've seen it in love, and I've seen it in hope too. Have you? It's beautiful, right, when you think of it? But then would you also acknowledge that you still have a little way to go? Can any of us say that? Uh, Forget the people around us. We, We know that they always have somewhere to go. But for us, I have to tell you that uh, it's important for us to admit that even though we've grown, we're not quite sanctified entirely yet. You agree? Yeah. Right beside the many encouraging signs of growth that I've been privileged to see, it's plain to me that we still have a long way to go because faith is hard and and many of us are facing challenges that have eroded our trust. And love is difficult too. The labor of love sometimes and with some people is so hard to manage because you don't want to serve them anymore. You don't want to keep trying. And and it's the same with hope. There are plenty of days for all of us that make hope feel absolutely impossible. We wish it were otherwise, but that's how it is. And it's true. And I know this without any question because I listen to so many of you in church and also because I live it myself. One of the curses of being a preacher is that on Monday morning, I have to see whether I believe in action the thing that I preached the day before. And on Monday mornings, when I'm up early to pray, it often happens that as I reflect on where I am, I think, oh my gosh, I wish I could embody more than I feel capable of the thing that I just said to all those folks yesterday. When you see that in yourself, I want an honest answer here. Does it feel discouraging to you? Does it make you want to give up sometimes? I know it does because when people open up to me, they say that, but I want you to hear this now. When I see it even in myself, I actually don't feel discouraged. Instead, I feel really hopeful. And it's not because I trust myself. It's because I know that the one that I've been invited to trust is completely worthy of my hope. And that's the reason 
why when I see I still have to grow, I don't feel despair. Because the one that I've put my hope in, not me, Jesus, he is completely trustworthy and he's got me. I want you to listen carefully to these words. Take these to heart. This is guidance for you. Here it is. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. All of it. All of your hope should be set on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring to you when he's revealed. Those words were written by the apostle Peter. And he was someone, a a follower of Jesus, who knew from his own experience what happens when you choose to put your hope in yourself instead of putting it in Jesus. Uh, From his own lived reality, Peter knew what happens when you trust Jesus and how different that is from when you trust yourself. I want to spend time here with you on Peter so that we can have an accurate expectation of what it looks like. Some of you know Peter's story well, and you know that there was one day, which was his worst day, in which he failed repeatedly. It started at the Last Supper. Uh, There with his disciples, Jesus opened up again about what was coming for him, that he was going to be crucified. And and he added that it was going to be one of the disciples that would turn him over. Do you remember what Peter said to Jesus in that moment? I would never betray you. Everyone else here might, but not me. No matter what it costs me, I will follow you always. Even if I had to die, I will go with you. I will never fail you. I can be trusted. I will be faithful. That's what it looks like to be a disciple who wants to go on growing, who has his faith or his hope put upon himself. Can you see it? In the next 12 hours, Peter fails miserably three times in a way that's actually exemplary for us. And here's why we're going to look at him because it shows us what we should expect when we put our hope in ourselves. After that promise from Peter, Jesus leads the disciples out of that dinner and they make their way up to the Garden of Gethsemane and here's where the first failure of Peter happens. Uh, Jesus has the disciples sit. He brings Peter and two others with him to go further into the garden to pray and he asks them, stay awake and pray for me. I'm gonna go further in. Peter says, of course I will. You can count on me, Jesus. When he returns, Peter is asleep. One hour, that's all it took for Peter to fail at his commitment to pray. Have you ever made a promise to God that I'm gonna be renewed in my prayer life only to fail the very next day? Uh, I won't ask for it, but I imagine there are a few of us who signed up for the daily text messages. We agreed to read the Bible every morning and then the bed was so warm we went on sleeping. Jesus comes back, he awakens Peter, he gives him two more chances, two more times. He returns to find Peter asleep. That's what it looks like when we say, I can be trusted, I can do this under my own strength. Jesus takes these three and he joins the rest of the disciples back where they had originally come into the garden and here's the scene for the second big failure of Peter's. 
As they're there together, they can see off in the distance as lights are coming. There's torches and lanterns, and now they see that there's a battalion of soldiers, and there are the scribes and the Pharisees, and they've got their policemen with them, and they're carrying weapons. And then Judas steps forward from this group. He kisses Jesus, and as soon as Peter sees it happen, he lunges forward, he grabs his sword, and he cuts the ear off of one of the servants that's there with the chief priests. And instead of praising him for what he does, Jesus turns to Peter, and he says, what are you doing? Put your sword back. Are you going to prevent me from facing the destiny that God has given to me? Can you imagine what you would feel like if you were Peter in that moment? Have you ever done something that you were certain was exactly what Jesus wanted you to do only to discover that it was the opposite of what you should have done? Have you ever thought, this is his plan for me. I'm going to go for it. And then you get started only to realize I had it completely backwards. That's exactly what happened to Peter. Peter thought this is what Jesus wants for me. He went for it. And then he had to discover that he had it wrong. That also will happen every time we go on believing that our continued growth is all about our own abilities and our own capacities. This is what happens when we trust in ourselves. The next failure of Peter's, the third one, it's, it's the worst. It's the most dramatic one. They leave the garden because Jesus is arrested and they make their way to the house where Jesus is going to be interviewed by the high priest and questioned. It's Annas' house. Peter and his friends follow at a distance, close enough to see what's happening, but not so close that they're going to get caught. They stand outside in a courtyard while Jesus is inside being interviewed. And they're warming themselves by a charcoal fire that one of the soldiers has made. And by the dim light of that fire in the night, There's a woman who's standing there with Peter and the others who starts to stare at him. She recognizes him. She asks him a question. Aren't you one of his followers? Peter answers, I'm not. Now, after that answer, there are some others who are there standing with him in the dark and they also begin to recognize him. Maybe it was the sound of his voice And so they ask, wait, you are one of that man's disciples, aren't you? And again, he responds, I'm not. And then it just so happens that the the relative of the slave whose ear was cut off also is standing there. And now he recognizes Peter from the garden. You were with him in the garden. I think you're one of his followers. A third time, Peter says, I am not. And at that moment, the rooster crows. And now it's brought home to Peter, what he maybe was able to ignore after the first two failures. And it is that I am completely hopeless as a disciple of Jesus. And what he does with that realization is he leaves the fire and he walks off by himself into the dark because he's ashamed. And please take this to heart. Try your best to see yourself in this story. What will happen for every one of us if we decide that our continued growth in discipleship depends on us, is that we will all end up in the same place that Peter ended up, which is alone in the dark, because it's not how it works with followers of Jesus that their hope should be placed on themselves. Whether it's staying awake to pray, or whether it's 
knowing what God wants from you so you act in faith, or, or whether it's as simple as keeping the commitment that you just made to Jesus, the thing that you said, I will never do that, Jesus, because that's what happens in the third failure of Peter's. He does the very thing he said, I would never do that. Have you ever done that? Jesus, I would never be unfaithful to this commitment. And there you are, unfaithful to the commitment again. Uh, God, I will always love. Jesus, I will never do anything unloving to that person. And now you're saying the meanest thing you can think of. Uh, Jesus, I will remain hopeful. I trust you. But you're anxious and fearful and afraid. When we rely on our own strength, we will be in the dark and alone like Peter was. If we believe that we will go on growing in faith and love and hope, which is exactly what God wants for us because we are trustworthy, we will fail miserably. But listen now, here's the invitation that comes to us. It comes to us from Peter because he lived through this and got out on the other side. And here it is, ready? It is that we are free to set all of our hope on the grace of Jesus Christ that he will bring to us when he is revealed. Try to imagine that as an alternative to just figuring out how to try harder. Relying completely on the grace of Jesus. Peter learned this truth when he was reunited with Jesus after those horrible failures. The story is told beautifully at the end of the Gospel of John. Jesus has been crucified and then he's arisen. But Peter is back to his old job fishing on the sea with his friends. They've been out all night. It was a bad night. Jesus appears on the beach. And then he calls out to them as they're making their way back to the shore. You haven't caught anything, have you? Why don't you throw the nets out the other side? Does it sound familiar to you? It sounded familiar to some of them in the boat. They throw the net out the other side, and now there's so many fish in it, they can't even manage to pull it into shore. And then someone in the boat says, that's Jesus. And Peter is so excited. He jumps out of the boat, and he swims to shore. And when he gets there, he finds Jesus standing there with fresh baked bread and then fish being broiled on a charcoal fire. Now, if I was Peter, the only thing I would be able to think of as I stood there with Jesus and that charcoal fire there was the last time I stood by a fire like this. But the first thing that Jesus does at this reunion, listen to this, is he serves his friends a freshly made breakfast. Isn't it wonderful when someone cooks for you? Especially breakfast, because they have to get up earlier. And here Jesus is with bread and fish. And then, when he finally does speak to Peter, the thing he asks him is the most important question for every disciple to reckon with, and it's this. Do you love me? Jesus doesn't ask him, why didn't you stay awake when you promised to? He doesn't say, how come you didn't understand better what I wanted from you? You should have known you spent those years learning with me. 
He doesn't say to him, can you please explain why you pretended you didn't know me the last time we were at a fire like this? Why didn't you stand up for me? Why weren't you honest? Jesus doesn't say any of those things because they don't matter to him. What matters to Jesus most is whether we are willing to love him. And here's how it works. When we are open to loving Jesus, then we can receive the thing that is primary, which is his love for us. Do you know this passage? This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That was written by John. Jesus asks us if we love him because he loves us already. The only prerequisite for us to receive his love is that we're willing to love him back. If we could boil everything that we've learned in these last two months down to a single step that we're invited to take so that we grow in the ways that God wants us to grow, it is this. Choose to love Jesus. That's the secret. Open your heart to him. His love is exactly what makes it possible for you and for me to keep on growing. And when we receive it, then the promise is that we will indeed become what God wants us to be. It's right there at the very end of the good word that Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 24. Look at it with me now. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do this. That is a promise from God to you personally, and you can trust it, and you can count on it, and then you can put all your hope in the grace that Jesus Christ will bring to you when he is revealed. And he will do the rest. That is the promise to you from God's word. Jesus is your gift of grace. All is yours in him. He is the hope of glory, Christ at work in you. That is the promise. So let's keep on growing with cheerful hearts and with an expectation for the future that is positive because he is trustworthy. What do you say? Amen? Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you so much for the gift of your word and for the way that you have encouraged us and challenged us and built us up through the time that we've spent in the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. This morning, we especially thank you that when you come to us in Christ, it is with the gift of grace. And because of that, we can put all of our hope in you and then go on growing as we do the thing which matters most, which is love you. God, in a new way, open every heart to receive your love so that in a new way, every one of us can go on growing in the work of faith and in the labor of love and in steadfastness in hope. And then we ask that through us, you would make your gospel known as we shine like lights in the dark in these days. We ask for this in Jesus' name and with joyful hearts. Amen.